stopped, get him stopped. God and Moses both in a sidecar could not drive a sprint car with a thousand horsepower. I swear to God, he's done a double somersault backwards. My car will go past wide open. Uh, my 50,000 came in a Twinkie box. You know, I get my jollies off over looking at a nice car wash. You know, he's going to crash your shit, but he's still, he's still got great stories. Oh, they disappeared. Oh, I'm leading. <laughs> I'm leading. <laughs> you plated your old ball sack and you just freaking let it eat. It's all goddamn assholes and elbows. And if you ain't right, They'll send your ass to the rear. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of Open Red, the official podcast of the world of outlaws, NOS Energy Drink Sprint Cars. As always, joining you, my name is Rob Blount from Dirt Vision, and I'm standing, sitting by. Sitting by Nick Raziano. Nick, how's it going? I'm awesome. How are you? I'm doing great. I'd be remiss if I didn't call you by your proper title. Uh, the the PR God don't of can't the world jinx of outlaws. it. Got to keep it going. Yeah, have to. Yeah, the PR I God. I don't know what happened. World of outlaws and that. So we're doing something special this week. Uh, we were joined this week by the CEO of World Racing Group, Brian Carter. Uh, we were joined by Jack. Ho- Jack. Jeff Hockman, the love that. <laughs> <laughs> Jeff Hockman, the executive director of events. Melvin Record, the director of business development, Correct. and Chris Dolak, the head of PR and marketing here at World Racing Group, uh, as well as the two of us, of course. I don't know why I said that. That's like a given. We're, we're here too. Yeah, we're we're here too. Uh, we're talking this week about our return to racing a year ago May at 8th. Knoxville Raceway, uh, May eighth, twenty twenty. Our big return from our pause due to the COVID pandemic. Uh, it's been a year. Yeah. I it's, believe it's uh, been a year. Crazy to think. We were just talking about the other episodes. Like, wow, it's we're here already. We're It's May 8th. We're back racing. Like last year, we had that long break, but this year, we're just going right into it. And because of that May 8th event is yeah. we're, why we're here talking about racing still. Yeah. We, we like you said, on other episodes, we realized, wow, it's already been yeah. that long. So we figured... Now would be a good time to revisit it. We probably wouldn't be doing our jobs if we didn't revisit it. So here we are, joined by the the, the four of them, uh, who are obviously extremely instrumental in everything that goes on here at World Racing Group and the World of Outlaws and Dirt Car, uh, to talk about what it was like behind the scenes getting us back to racing. Yeah, there's obviously... Everybody in the company had a hand in that in some certain way, um, but obviously these uh, guys knew a lot of the behind the scenes. Were involved with a lot of behind the scenes, and uh, they they talk about that. And it's really cool to just hear what went on to make that event happen. You know what's one of the things it took to make that event happen? Tell us. Uh, it took balls. It you know what it did. It took a pair of these. It did, and uh, that leads us right into our sponsor. Because you needed to make sure that it was good to go. Yes. I mean, think about what we were dealing with last year. We are dealing with, and, and still are to an extent this year, it's thankfully started to decrease a little bit uh, and, and loosen its grips on us, the COVID-19 pandemic. But we were dealing with a, a virus that seemed to live in the air and would live on surfaces. So you had to be uh, hygienic. You Nick. did. You know yeah. how you do that? How? I think you're going to tell us. I just asked you how. But I know how you know that I know that you know. 
One of the ways you do it <laughs> is with the sponsor of this podcast, uh, Manscaped. And guess what, Nick? What's that? Do you remember the breaking news from last week and the week before? Because last week you struggled to remember. I did. But tell us again. I remember, but I want to hear it again. Because you forgot. Yes. So, Manscaped has released... The new Lawnmower 4.0 trimmer. It is now available for purchase in the USA and Canada. Nick, guess what? In case you forgot, you do live in the USA. You are able to purchase the Lawnmower 4.0. So excited. It's incredible, right? So you can get it. If you go to manscaped.com and use the promo code OPENRED20, you get 20% off plus free shipping. Free shipping. Free shipping. Free. Anywhere in the world. Anywhere. Yes. Here. Right where here. we are right, right here, here right now. We right get it here. for free. Yes, right here. Concord, North Carolina is right. in the USA. You keep going. I'm going to look this up. Right okay, here. so I will keep going. So it's really, really cool. You can join the over 2 million men worldwide who trust Manscaped with this exclusive offer. As I said, that exclusive offer is 20% off plus free worldwide shipping using the promo code OPENRED20 at manscaped.com. The new Lawnmower 4.0 features their advanced ceramic blade and skin-safe technology. It is so good, it almost seems as if Manscaped worked with that guy that just about a week and a half ago or so hosted Saturday Night Live, Mr. Elon Musk. They worked with him and his engineers to ensure that your testes are as safe as possible, Nick. I very much appreciate that. You have to. That's a sensitive area. Uh, the, what makes this trimmer so different, Nick? I'm sure you were going to ask that. Tell us. Were you going to ask that or did I just read your mind? Oh, no. I was, yeah. Yeah. I mean, we're in sync. You know what I'm going to say, so you can just say it. Yeah. So, what makes it different than all the other trimmers is its new multifunction on-off switch that can engage a travel lock. It's created for people like you, Nick, who like to travel pretty frequently. It also comes with the ability to turn on its 4000K LED spotlight on and off when needed for a more pre precise shave, because oh, that is quite important. Yes. The new trimmer even allows you to customize your trim all over because it has guard lengths. Sizes one through four to go a, a little bit shorter, a little bit longer, a little bit in between. Just right. Just right. Just right. This one's just right. Just right. The new Lawnmower 4.0, as I said, is available in the USA and Canada. It is also waterproof, so you can take care of that pesky trimming in the shower and not have to make a mess on the bathroom floor. It'll just go right down the drain, Nick. Uh, you can do this again. You can purchase it. At manscaped.com, using promo code OPENRED20, get yourself 20% off, plus free shipping, worldwide. I'm not going to forget that. I'm going to do that. That's what you said last week. Yep, and, and I you did. forgot it. I, that's why there's a package that I just found out that I have at home, because I did it last week, but I forgot I ordered it. So, order another one. You want, you want one? Sure. All right, cool. You got one. Fantastic. So, as we already mentioned... We had a nice, fun roundtable discussion here. It was really cool. It was a fun idea, and it executed pretty well, I think. Yeah, I agree. It was a, it was a fun idea, fun conversation. Uh, learned a lot uh, from everyone that was involved. And uh, I think it's just time to get right on into it. Yeah, enjoy it. It was just a little over 10 days ago we were all shaking our heads at news that Italy was locking down the entire country to stop the spread of COVID-19. Awful, we thought, but it couldn't happen here. Except it slowly is, state by state. 
The warning from the nation's frontline ER doctors, the situation is critical. What we're dealing with right now is something most of us in our careers have never seen, which is a slow roll mass casualty incident. There's a lot of anxiety. There's a lot of fear. Um, there's a lot of, you know, wondering if you're risking your life by going to work. It's really stressful and, you know, first time unemployed in my entire life. The world has been shut down now for 58 days. No live sports in America. We all remember back to that weekend where the sports were shut down. It's a return to racing and you know this is anything but normal. Yeah, you get the feeling in the pits it's normal. Look around the grandstands. Absolutely nobody to be seen. David Crowell wins the Outlaws return to racing at the Knoxville Raceway in spectacular fashion over Ian Matson. In front of a capacity crowd of no, and it's still a wing dance in Knoxville, baby. Shuhart slides up the banking Larson, turns underneath him and steals the win out of turn four. An unreal finish at River City Speedway. Donnie shots, Brad Sweet to the line, and shots wins and Larson gets So this week we're doing something a little bit different because it's now been, what, a year and five days or something like it's that? a little like? over that. A year and five days since we returned to racing at Knoxville Raceway, May 8th, 2020, from the break from the COVID-19 pandemic. So today we're joined by, we're doing a, a roundtable sort, sort of thing with the CEO of World Racing Group, Brian Carter. Brian, how you doing? I'm doing good, guys. Thanks for having me on. Oh, thank you. We're also joined by Chris Dolak, the head of PR and marketing here at World Racing Group. Chris, how are you? I'm well. Thank you, guys. Thank you. And I don't we, think you can call me the PR god today. He's here, so I think he's going to take that title. Yeah, he is the, the, yeah, the god bit, of all gods, higher. right? <laughs> <laughs> also have Jeff Hockman, the executive director of events. Jeff, how's it going? Good, good. Thanks for having me on. Absolutely. Thank you. And certainly, last but not least, Melvin Record, Director of Business Development. Melvin, how are you today? I am excellent. Thank you very much. Thank you. So, again, the reason why we wanted to do this, Nick and I were kind of talking uh, a couple weeks ago when we realized it's, it's already been a year. A year has flown by since uh, that large event that we had at, at Knoxville Raceway last year, and it, it dawned on us that we should probably revisit that and try to get the the behind the scenes on really what was probably one of the largest events that at least we've done since I've been here of course we have the the Knoxville Nationals and the Kings Royals but that one had so much meaning behind it that we wanted to hear from everyone who was so instrumental in in putting that one on so Brian I guess I'll start with you just can you at least walk us through how we got to that point from from your perspective to go from not racing for I think it was 
95 days or something to finally returning in front of no fans, but a massive crowd on Dirt Vision only. Yeah, it was uh, definitely challenging times when we look back at uh, what the world was going through. We were we were oblivious to what was about to happen. We were celebrating a world, record crowds at, D- at Dirt Car Nationals down in Florida at Volusia, and we're, we're uh, getting ready for a huge campaign across the south into the spring, and we're traveling away. I actually had, I was in uh, Utah with my family and doing some snowboarding, trying to get ready for the, you know, my la- some some pieces in the in the world is uh, collapsing that week, and we're actually in the pit area in March, uh, wondering what was going to happen, what, what was going to happen, and then we ended up shutting down like everybody else did that Friday afternoon when IndyCar went red on the racetrack and stopped, and everything stopped, NBA stopped, we stopped. It was a, a pretty. Uh, uh, you know, it was a time of uncertainty and, and was frightening candidly when you didn't know when it was going to race again. But the, the events that led up to that effectively that day was the beginning of leading up to May the 8th. You didn't know really where we were going to land. You know, we, we are racers. We're a racing family. We're a racing community. We go racing. That's what we do. We build a business around it, build our lifestyles around it. And uh, the idea of not doing it or not knowing when we're going to get to do it again was frightening in many ways. So just about from the moment we settled down from the shock of the fact we couldn't do what we love and what our fans love, you go back into reality. Okay. How do we go back racing? What do we do? And uh, the process started, you know, after right away, right after the decision was made to shut down, figure out what we needed to do to keep everybody safe. What do you do with the offices? How do you keep your teams? How do you travel everybody back home? You know, so we were, we had, you know, the crews in Texas were promoting shows. We had crews getting ready. So there's a lot of things that led up to May the 8th was a celebration really of, hey, we were successful at, at getting back in a way to where we all build our lives and families and businesses around. And that's, that was a big day uh, for World Racing Group and for short track racing. So it started right away. When you look at it, there was a lot of things you evaluated to get back to it, but, you know, uh, I, Jeff and uh, Chris and Melvin and Ben and, and the, the whole team at the time uh, were trying to figure out what do you do? What do you have to do? And that was, we set everybody on their own tasks. Well, let's start figuring out who can we work with? Where can we go? What can we do? What's safe? What's the right thing to do? Responsible thing to do. And uh, we put together a team that's on the phone today and or on the call today and started figuring it out solving problems like we always do. So what was that first step? Once you guys all sat down, where, where did you go from here? Where did you decide, all right, this is maybe the direction we need to go? Obviously, we'd, we went into iRacing, but we were working on still getting back to racing. How did all that kind of tie in together? Well, it was a, definitely a moving target. And everybody, and I'd li- I really like to kind of hear, you know, everybody was set on their own task. We all have special, you know, we all have functions in the, in the, in our roles at World Racing Group. You know, Jeff's uh, our events guy, Melvin's business development, Chris is working on PR. So we all went on, we're set on goals, go figure out uh, what facilities are available. Where can we be successful? What has the best opportunity to have, you know, what are we, what are the criteria in which we can operate on? And, and, you know, when you talk about business development, you talk about relationships with customers and companies and people and authorities. And that, and that's really where Melvin came in, you know, go find out that was Melvin's uh, directive. Go find out who is uh, approaching this issue in what way. 
Jeff, go find out what we can do relative to the speedways. Where can we go? Who's operating? Uh, who wants to operate? There's a lot of people that didn't want to operate. How do we go about it? Who has a facility that can handle this uh, race in a manner in which we had never contemplated racing without our fabulous race fans? How do you do that? And then Chris, you know, how do we frame it within the world which we're living in at the time that in a positive light, what are we trying to do? We want to show people we can do it, not expose any risk to the responsible things, the safe thing, all those pieces. How do we craft a story around that so that people understand that it's much larger than just having a race? We're trying to kickstart an economy, a business uh, that, is, that a lot of people don't understand to get it started so we can all go back racing in a very safe and effective way. And, and each of these guys played an integral part in that. I'd like to hear from them kind of how they, you know, we were, none of us were in the office together. So we were right. all, you know, we closed the offices down and now we're doing this remotely. We're doing on zoom calls and we're doing it in the middle of the night. And how do you do that? And I'd really like to kind of hear them because they each have a different perspective than I do trying to figure out how do you do that? And not only that, but run a business, fund a business, keep everybody employed, not furloughing anybody. What's the right thing to do? I'm, I'm focused on these things I, and I, and they were set on their task to go figure out the event side of it. So yeah, Jeff, how, start, how did you settle start. on that, Jeff? Like that it's going to be Knoxville raceway. Like I, I, it, in hindsight, it seems like Knoxville is the obvious choice, right? It's where our biggest race of the year is the Knoxville nationals. And it's such a large facility. Like Brian said, it can handle what we wanted to do. But, uh, I, it was interesting to me to hear there that there was, other places that were explored. How did you settle upon Knoxville Raceway? Well, I mean, we first had to figure out where there was an opportunity and Iowa was one of those opportunities. And Melvin, even though in business development, his main and major role in this whole thing of coming back was creating those relationships, figuring out where those opportunities were. And um, I'm not a research guy but he's a very good research guy. And he was actually could tell us what we could do in these different areas. And then we had to apply it to what we usually do to make it fall fall in line. But um, not just where you can do it, but Knoxville, where, where can you make the most impact? And I think we all know, and we were all pretty proud of uh, when we came back, I mean, Knoxville made an impact. Not just that we were bringing back racing, we did bring back racing. Um, but we brought it back to um, where one of the biggest events in sprint car racing is and uh, somewhere that impacted everybody. I, I, I don't know how deep we'll dig here, but I mean, during that event, fans were calling up asking, can I create an award? Um, which Chris can probably shed some light on this, but can I make it $250 to the highest, highest uh, finishing Pennsylvania posse driver, you know, or, or whatever it may be. So, I mean, Knoxville and the whole thing just made everybody engage because it's Knoxville and it's the world of outlaw sprint cars and what two things are any better. Right. Chris, I, I actually, yeah, not only mentioned that. Yeah. Kind of go into that. It, it was quite an unbelievable night from a, a lot of different angles um, from our side. Nick, I know you were on the ground there and I think I was blowing up your phone going, Hey, yeah. TV crews over here. Can you run up here? Take, take care of those guys. We got, we had media coming at us from every direction wanting to come up. We had NPR coming from Kansas city. We had all the local stations. We had print. We had, it was 
and, and really we were very limited in who we could allow on property. So managing through that was, was one part of it, but to what you were just mentioning there on the Dirt Vision broadcast that night, which was that in itself was quite a neat thing with, with announcers in different locations and whatnot. But then the, the fan, the swell of fan support that emerged as that broadcast went on, I don't think we were, we didn't really quite know how to handle it quite that night. We were working with Johnny and, and working through everything to, uh, to, to take, you know, all the fans wanted to participate and how could we work that in? And we kind of did that on the fly. And uh, it turned out to be an incredible, just an absolutely incredible night all the way around. I remember passing notes to to Johnny th- through the door here, trying to open it up real quietly to to give him a new note of, okay, this person's now saying they're donating this for this award, and he's quickly trying to read my handwriting that looks like a toddler's and <laughs> decipher what was said and throw that on air. And then we're getting more and more. And like you said, it, as as the night went on, suddenly we've got a spreadsheet tracking all of these that. We didn't have it starting night because who would have expected that that was what was going to happen? But it was it was really really cool. Melvin, what were the challenges from your perspective throughout throughout the lead up to uh, May eighth? I think the the biggest challenge was was communicating directly with the governor of Iowa, uh, Kim Reynolds. Uh, we had to get the governor's permission to. To, to race, you know, we, we wanted to make sure that the, the governor and the state, the public health department were comfortable with what we were doing. So working with John and Kendra at Knoxville Raceway, they introduced us to a lady called Teresa Harms, uh, who is a lobbyist in the state of Iowa. She's in Des Moines. She has a company called Advocacy Strategies. Teresa had a direct connection to Governor Reynolds and was able to uh, talk about who we are, what we do, and the importance of Knoxville Raceway to the world of dirt track racing. And uh, so working with Teresa, she, she guided us on putting together um, an executive summary as to how we would conduct an event. We came up with three different scenarios as to what the event could potentially look like. There was even one scenario where we would have done an event with less than 50 people on the property. That included 15 race teams. Uh, so we, we came, you know, working with Jeff and Ben and uh, and Brian and other key players here at World Racing Group, we came up with different scenarios as to what an event could look like with a minimum minimal number of people. We ultimately ended up with uh, the governor approved a, a proposal for 500 people or less. I think we ended up with, what, 340-odd people, Jeff, mm-hmm. uh, on the night. Yep. Um, and we were able to put on a successful event with 48 race cars. Uh, but getting those permissions and get it, making a commitment that we would follow the CDC guidelines, we would fo- follow the Iowa Department of Public Health guidelines to putting on a safe event uh, that they were comfortable with. And uh, it, it would not have happened if Kim Reynolds, Governor Reynolds, had not said, you can go ahead and do this. And... Um, you know, the, the mandate from senior management from the get-go was, you know, we, we don't necessarily want to be the first, we just want to be the best. Mm-hmm. And uh, so that led to the creation of the, the resource center, the COVID resource center that's still on the World of Outlaws website, um, guidelines that we could share with other racing organizations in terms, and not just racing organizations, but sports organizations, how you could go back to racing. You know, the, the interaction that we had with Governor Reynolds was, was eye-opening because it, it taught us how to communicate 
in government language, local government, state government language, as to what they wanted to hear and what they wanted to see in re- in relation to getting a sport and the economy back to back to a some kind of normal. How nerve wracking was that so for was you? Another- Sorry, Jeff, go ahead. No, I was just going to add to that a little bit. I mean, you know, the the 350 people, or I think the exact number was 349. I mean, that that includes uh, us. Um, mm-hmm. So that that number runs out fast, and uh, and getting that approval. But what we, what we did learn is, you know, how to be efficient with our staff. And um, you know, the the key was keep it below 500, keep people safe um, through a controlled facility and a controlled schedule. Um, we controlled when drivers and staff entered the facility. We locked the facility to put on the event and when the and uh, had the event over within two hours and then released everyone uh, within the final hour. So, um, you know, there was a lot of planning that went into that, keeping people social distance, how many um, each each uh, we created eight different zones, I believe, at Knoxville and each zone could only have X number of people. So uh, if you weren't you know, there, there was only six people in the tower, in the control tower, in the scoring tower. So um, we actually had to identify people's roles. We had the, the 349 people that were on property. We had to detail who they were and what their role was, you know, so that the, the, the public health people and the, the state government were comfortable that we were following their guidelines and the CDC guidelines. There was no... There was no, well, we don't know who that person is over in that truck. It, it was like we had to identify every single person that was on property and what their role was and why they were crucial to put in on that event. I, I mean, yeah. we had to worry about ourselves. Um, we were putting on the event, and if I come down with COVID the morning of the event, Brian Carter was on site. Not many people saw him, but he was on site because if one of us goes down, Brian was ready to jump in and take the plan and see it through. All right, we had so, an A and B team um, there, you know, right? We had to have a, an A and B team, kind mm-hmm. of. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, we, that's the piece that a lot of people don't understand is that we actually had a full backup team on property that was never in the tower. So actually, actually sat in the middle of the grandstand for the four wide. Probably in the video, you could probably see a couple of people sitting there. Just and just isolating myself from everything, kind of a private show. But it was uh, we had an A and a B team. If somebody went down, we we had somebody off property that could come on property and and uh, and take a role if we needed to do that. And a lot of the fans don't understand that that backup plan was in existence. But you know the the key that Melvin said there that that is different than we've ever operated it in is we had to ask for permission to race. <laughs> That environment is is something that nobody we have to ask for permission to run our business. Hmm. So that that was an environment was we dealt with all summer and we did because that's what we had to do. Uh, you know, we had to we and we didn't race anywhere where we didn't have a, a collaboration with the government or with the racetracks, and that's why we picked and and pulled our way through the summertime. But there there are still places that we're still dealing with a lot of that. Uh, right now and we're needing to permission to race and that is a I, i'm not very fond of that idea but we've done it when we need to and that's the way we'll play but that's what we were dealing with all summer 
Melvin, I was going to ask you before how nerve-wracking that was to be in that position, that you're dealing directly with the governor of the state and putting out these proposals to them, knowing that you've got X amount of proposals, but that any of them could have been rejected, and we would have been looking at a plan B. And then, Jeff, to follow up on that, what would have been a plan B if all of our proposals got rejected by uh, the Iowa governor? I think the, the, the key to the, the success of May the 8th was figuring out what the language was that the governor and the, the local state officials wanted to read and wanted to hear. And that was where uh, someone like Teresa Harms came in. She was invaluable in, in helping us navigate that uh, proper language. So if you look at the executive summary that was submitted to the governor of Iowa, to go back to racing, for permission to go racing on that that evening. Um, it's about a six-page document, but the, the language of it is, it, it, it's not like you would write a letter to a friend or a, a sponsorship proposal to a company. Uh, it, it's full of specific wording that Teresa told us that the governor is gonna want to see there were specific words that we had to use in that request uh, that we knew would get past uh, the vetting process of uh, state government and that they would be comfortable that we, we said that what we were going to do what we said we were going to do. I think the other part of it that can't be overlooked was the reputation of World Racing Group and the World of Outlaws. We, we, are in, uh, we have our integrity, we have our honesty, and I think that that came through to the governor that we, if we said we were going to do something, we were going to do it. And that level of trust built up to the point where uh, the governor said that we're okay to race. We submitted the the uh, executive request to the governor on April the 24th, and uh, we got permission a couple of days later to go racing. Uh, we, we told the governor we needed about a week to activate everything to get to the point where we could, we could get race teams. You know, Carlton had to organize race teams. Kendra and John at uh, Knoxville Raceway had to organize the racetrack. Um, it, it was it was a supremely collaborative effort on everybody's behalf. Yeah, so I mean, we, we really didn't get into the backup plan, but Ben and Brian were working feverishly while we were working on executing this on what we were doing next. And we were already working on Peevely, um, which was in a different situation. They were starting to have events with fans. Um, you know, with uh, county county approval. So um, really, to be honest with you, I, I think plan B would have been we would have taken a step back and we would have started one week later. Now, obviously, getting to do Knoxville was a launching point for us, but also just kind of a launching point for all racing series to kind of show how we can return to racing. And like Melvin, you said, we have that uh, COVID Resource Center that's still on the website, the the guidelines that we came up with. Where where did the idea for that come from, and how did we end up putting that together and putting it out? Obviously, we put it out for everybody, so anybody can use this in return. Yeah, what, what became clear very quickly was that um, you know, there was there was a national plan that was coming from the, the Centers for Disease Control uh, as to how people should be dealing with the pandemic. And then the, we were dealing with 
state public health departments and then county public health departments and even city public health departments. You know, we, at one point we were talking to the, the folks down at Cherokee Speedway about having a late model race there. And we were dealing with um, the uh, Cherokee County Public Health Department. And, and it became clear that everybody had a different idea as to how, how we should be navigating this particular crisis. And um, but between the senior management team at uh, World Racing Group, we decided there has to be just one place where we can send people. And so working with Chris and Jeff and Ben, uh, we decided we've got to come up with we've got to come up with a resource center. Uh, Christina Cordova was was crucial in this this program as well in terms of getting it onto the website. So we developed a set of guidelines. Uh, that we felt that we could live with, that we could execute, and that we could share with with the world. And so we we developed these guidelines. Uh, we had them vetted by uh, Agajani and Anthony in Los Angeles. Uh, we were working directly with a, a doctor here in North Carolina, Dr. Jack Faircloth, who was on the North Carolina Board of Supervisors for the COVID uh, response. Uh, we worked with Jeff Ladd at Sport, Sports Insurance Specialties, and uh, we got to a point where we were comfortable with the documentation that we had, that we could share it with the world. And uh, we, we were approached by different motor racing organizations, but also other sports organizations. There, there, there was clearly this, it's one of the proudest things I've, it's one of the things I've worked on that makes me so proud of that, to be involved in it, that we were able to create a blueprint almost for how sport could get back to back to action and uh, it, none of it would have been possible without Jeff and Chris and Christina and Brian and Ben it, it, it just wouldn't have happened did you all expect that yeah, to well, be the we, reaction I'm sorry Rob. I was going to say ahead, did Rob. you all expect that to be the reaction to when that got posted that uh, it, it would be looked at in that way from so many different organizations yeah it, it was written that way it was, it was written with the express intent of sharing it with the world and you know we, we've received calls from we, we were getting phone calls from racetracks in california for example where they're still dealing with you know the effects of the pandemic but they were asking you know, is it okay if we use these guidelines uh, to to share with with our county officials with our city officials uh, the executive summary that we submitted to governor reynolds uh, we actually created an editable version of that so that uh, racetracks or sports organizations could download the executive summary. Uh, we put tips in there as to what kind of language uh, a county official or a city official would be looking for. And we also made ourselves available uh, to, to anybody that wanted to call us and that needed help in writing an executive summary. I, I took about a handful of those phone calls, uh, you know, helped people work through the documents, what they needed to put. We'd done all the research. We'd done all the hard work. It, it was just excep exceptionally gratifying to share that with, with people that could use it. Yeah. When you look at the, you know, our most visible brands with the world of outlaws is what, you know, on May the 8th kickstarted. Uh, we kickstarted with the most visible brand, but like I said at the beginning, we we're trying to manage an entire business community and family. That don't, the world of outlaws only represents a, a, a portion and candidly a small portion of what, ra what racing group does for the racing community. We have, 
you know, 14 touring series, 15 classes, 200 sanctioned racetracks. There's a big part of our business that was relying upon us figuring out a way for everybody to go back racing, not just the major sports series. So, uh, you know, it was a critical for us to, once we had figured out a way to get our premier series running, but the long-term piece was to make sure that everybody could get running because if the local racing does not come back as quickly as possible, there, there could be longer-term damage done to the businesses that have been built around this. So uh, when we, we needed it to be available to everybody, uh, including the people that aren't necessarily directly associated or customers of World Racing Group, everybody would succeed if we could create a uniform way, a messaging that could be accepted and, uh, and we were able to get to there so quickly because of our experience. We have long-standing relationship with the state of New York and the government there. We know how to navigate through mass gathering permits and safety restrictions and government regulations with all those pieces. So it's not like we haven't done this before. We just never expected to have to do it across the entire country in the 37 states we operate in. Going off of that, um, obviously, Chris, I knew at least from the sprint car side at the time, there was a lot we were doing, just uh, making sure we're getting all of our sponsors covered with all the social posts we were doing, various stories, the watch parties. But obviously you were covering everything we had, late models, sprint cars, super dirt car series. What was it like uh, just trying to maintain all those series and try to give keep the exposure going for all of them while we were waiting for each one to get its turn to go back racing? Yeah. Uh, we as a, as a group, um, all of us, really had to put our heads together and figure out while we were working on the return to racing, how we were going to entertain fans in that gap between the time that Cotton Bowl shut down and, and we went back to Knoxville. So there was quite a bit that we were doing around the clock there with iRacing, but we had we put uh, a lot of things that we actually still use now, which is tremendous, things like different spreadsheets for different sponsors just to make sure that we were covering off on um, their needs to make sure that they were getting the recognition that they uh, had, had signed up for, had signed on for, and, and things like that. So we had to go back through all of our social posts that we probably weren't necessarily and didn't have as part of our, our repertoire beforehand, became part of it now, and we continue to do them, and, and it made a big difference for a lot of those. Um, the iRacing was obviously a huge part of what we did. Um, it, it really was, it, it, it challenged all of us to figure out ways to, to keep our fans entertained. The, the watch parties were certainly, uh, th those were actually fun in a, in a lot of ways to go back and things that we had talked about doing but didn't have a chance to really do them because we were always racing. We were always going somewhere. Now we had that chance to, to actually do some of the things that we had talked about and discussed and over the years and, and the watch parties were, were something like that where we were able to get the drivers online. We, we, we taught a lot of people how to use Zoom <laughs> and, uh, and, and some of those things in those time frames. Um, and it's been great because it's continued on. But um, yeah, you know, the whole, the whole group, whether it was PR or events or, or whatnot, um, everybody played a role. And, and the goal was to keep our fans entertained until we could have them back in the stands. Speaking of fans in the stands, your role is so integral to getting fans in the stands at the markets that we go to. How did your role change as we led into an event that was going to have no fans in the stands by design? 
Well, we wanted fans then to tune in and watch. Um, so obviously the, the Dirt Vision team is pretty skilled, pretty talented, and, and they were able to bring a lot to the to the table. And so we were our effort went from driving fans to the stands to driving fans to watch on online. So you could actually watch the national broadcast of the events. And, uh, and then we transitioned back to where we are now, where we're encouraging, we're, we're doing both. We want fans to watch if you can't be there, but we're also working on getting the fans back. So it didn't take long. We, 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 we didn't need to put as much re- because of the, the, eventually the stands were limited crowds and because our fan base is, is so fervent that um, they wanted to come back and watch, we didn't have to do a whole lot to get the fans back to, to the capacities that we were allowed. But um, we continued to grow our Dirt Vision audience and continued to um, you know, promote that is, is, a, is another means of following the tour all year long. Then obviously after Knoxville, we, we did we got to go back to Peavely with some fans. Uh, what were the challenges of that? Obviously, that's what we're used to going to a racetrack with fans. But now we have COVID to deal with too. What kind of was, was that easier than Knoxville, or was it still kind of the same kind of challenges as Knoxville, even without fans? It was actually more of a challenge than, uh, than Knoxville <laughs> because now you had to deal with uh, fans and their own opinions and their own perception of what the law was or the rules were or the protection opportunities were at that time. Um, But uh, what we really focused on at that point is still doing everything we could to limit the interaction or the opportunity for um, there to be any type of transmission of of a virus. Uh, We did temperature checks of everyone that came into the facility like we did at Knoxville, but we did that with the fans. Uh, We didn't allow tailgating in the parking lots. Um, We did every other row seating um, and six foot in between groups. Um, And uh, we didn't allow anybody who was in the pits to be in the grandstands and vice versa. So one of the coolest things about going to a world of outlaw event is being able to go in the pits and see your favorite driver at the end of the night. But we had to, uh, shut that off for a while until, uh, it became time again to offer that opportunity. So, um, you know, concessions was an issue, six foot social distancing. I mean, uh, you know, we, we were trying to social distance in the restrooms, um, at, at Knoxville, we bagged every other urinal. Um, you know, I mean, there was everything, you know, and, and like Melvin said, uh, it was very gratifying to put this together, um, to see the collaboration and the communication. I think Melvin got sick of hearing the phone ring at eight <laughs> o'clock in the morning, but every time I would go out for the walk and do some push-ups, I call Melvin cause I have an idea and, you know, Melvin be going to pick up a pizza and ask if he wants to drop one off. But I mean, we, we went after this and, um, you know, to be able to think about every different part, merchandise, concessions, ticket sales in the grandstands and and be able to put together something that allowed many racetracks to come back racing was uh, very gratifying. So, Brian, what a year later have we still taken from this that we're still using? I remember uh, when Ross Weiss and I had you on the show near the end of 2020 uh, that you said, 
we now know how to plan for other delays in the schedule that like there's a, a B, a C and a D version of the schedule for 2021. What other things along those lines? And I and I'm going to open this up to, to everyone as well. Uh, that we learned from a year ago that we're still implementing today. Well, you know, I've I've um, I knew how resilient and how flexible the organization was and our fans are and our teams are this made us all work together as a group in a collaborative way that we would have never seen before without having this challenge in 2020. So we just experienced it in 2021, except mother nature threw her hand in it too. When we rained out everything after Volusia, we'll go back and restart everything. It wasn't, it became less frightening to promote an entire string of races with a month's notice completely different than what you thought you were going to do in, in the spring. And we did it successfully across the South. We went back to Volusion, started over, and we did it because we know we can now if we have to. I hope to not ever have to again. And if Mother Nature throws us for another loop, we can go back and do it again. But, you know, COVID hasn't let go. The restrictions haven't let go of California, so we had to adjust. But for me, what it showed us was, you know, that the direct communication with our fans, the connectivity of the community, uh, the engagement on a daily basis uh, is all things that people in our world enjoy and we need to rely upon more to connect and connect those fans to events and drivers and to World Racing Group and our staff so that they understand that we are thinking about the bigger picture and that we are uh, in the business of entertaining people within the sport that we all love. So I think with all those pieces, then as we have to be flexible, we can be flexible. And there's a reason behind it. And I think that that's what we're taking away. So like Chris said, the way in which we approach our social media, the engagement, the way we uh, connect people to the drivers uh, has been expanded way beyond what we thought we were going to do if you were planning out a strategic plan for 21 at the beginning or the of 20 or the end of 19. It accelerated a lot of things relative to our online promotion, uh, the streaming pieces, uh, and it, it, it changed the way in which we promote shows through direct connection with the race fans. We sold tickets in places we would have never sold tickets to. Well, that increases the database, and now that just strengthens the, the power of the community as we go in and promote shows. So all of those things are carrying forward into 21, and you're seeing it already uh, in our events that we're going back to with the strengthened crowds, increased engagement, uh, fan interaction with drivers, merchandise sales for drivers and for teams and for and for the series. It's, there's a, there's a greater community feel today than I've felt uh, ever before, and that I think is an, uh, uh, attributed to the success and the strength and the perseverance of our led by our fans, uh, uh, coordinated by us, entertained by our drivers. Really, for all of you, kind of going off of that, how have you each seen? Uh, the series and the industry grow from this now? Whoever wants to start first, Brian. <laughs> I, think, I, think, I think from uh, an administrative perspective, uh, the, those, those months where we were working directly with state governments, with state public health departments, uh, we, we forged a lot of relationships that we still have to this day. Uh, you know, I make it a point to check in with various people that helped us get to that point where we could race. And uh, I believe it legitimized uh, World Racing Group and World of Outlaws as, as a major sporting series, uh, a sporting business. Um, 
you know, we, we, I know it's probably easy to dismiss dirt track racing as, as uh, you know, it's on the fringes of motorsport. You know, it's not NASCAR, it's not IndyCar, it's not NHRA. But we were able to develop a set of guidelines working with state governments uh, that told everybody, told the world that we were, we are legitimate in what we do and how we do it. And I think that that added to our credibility. And so now when, when I pick up the phone and I need to talk to someone uh, in local government, in state government in Pennsylvania or South Dakota or Iowa or wherever it might be, the call gets taken. Uh, you know, it, you know, I don't get uh, the, well, you know, I'll, I'll talk to so-and-so and maybe they'll call you back. Uh, you know, they take our calls now. And so I think from a, an administrative perspective, it legitimized us as an organization and dirt track racing as a sport. I think it, uh, I think it showed our commitment to our fans, our drivers and our sanctioned, sanctioned tracks um, uh, that we took the pro, we were proactive in trying to bring back racing and showed that we are not good. We will go down fighting for our fans, for our drivers, for our sanctioned tracks, no matter what's going on so we can race another day. And I think there's I, I one other say, event. I, I like the way, Sorry, Chris, go ahead. I, I was going to say that the collaboration I felt was never as, as good as it was, as it has been since all this started amongst not just our teams internally, but our relationships with fans, with competitors, with owners, just because we've had to pivot so many different ways, so many times to, to, to do what needed to be done in order to go race and the, the cooperation, the collaboration throughout the industry has, has really been pretty neat to see and, and, and neat to be a part of. Um, that's probably the takeaway for me, that in, in our ability to go back and, and kind of lean on our history and bring our history back to the forefront in some cases um, through different avenues that we, we used from the time we, we closed down to, to now. Um, I, th those are some of the things that jumped out on my, my side, I guess. Jeff, you spoke of commitment to the tracks and, and the competitors and the fans as well. But there was there was another event in October last year, uh, the Oktoberfest event, the week-long event that we ran for the Super Dirt Car Series. It was very similar in nature, except it was at multiple tracks over the course of four, five, or six days. What what was used from, from May 8th that made running an event like that easier? Well, we were able to know what worked and what didn't, and we were lucky enough that a lot of it worked on May 8th, and we were able to apply that um, apply that to the tracks up in New York. Uh, you know, with, with not having the opportunity of Super Dirt Week because of uh, the guidelines in New York, um, we still, again, felt committed to the fans and the drivers that we needed to do something in New York. And... and give some of our tracks an opportunity to benefit from that our sanctioned tracks also so we were able to apply all the stuff that we had learned over the summer with no fans and even some with fans because you know we had a lot of competitors at those events and really you know competitors have teams and so you have to apply on site with nobody on site so um 
you know, so we uh, we were able to do that and uh, and really bring some electricity to central New York, which I believe uh, that momentum has carried over and is uh, starting to um, starting this year. Uh, things are moving uh, the right direction and uh, we're looking forward to being back in the Swigo this year. Sure. I'm sure you all experienced a moment of this on May 8th last year. At some point in the night, maybe it was 2 a.m. Saturday morning on technically the 9th, where you felt like, holy crap, we did it. Like, we're back. We pulled this off. What, what was the end of that night like for, for each of yours' perspective? Yeah. Um, okay, I'll just lead off. But <laughs> <laughs> um, Sorry about that. Uh, it was a moment, I, I'm not going to get choked up now, it's a moment of we did it. I mean, we, uh, you know, it was a collaborative effort. We weren't in the office together. We were talking on the phone. We were talking at all hours. We were working within our lives. We were trying to be safe ourselves. We didn't know what was going to happen. We didn't know what was going to happen. We didn't know if when we were going to be able to go racing again. So I know when that night was over, um, to see a plan that was 16 pages work was pretty pretty cool. For me, the, for me, that moment actually came at the beginning of the event because the first driver in line to fill in the health questionnaire, to get his temperature checked, to sign the waiver was Brad Sweet. And I remember yes. seeing Brad in line and thinking, wow, we, we every, everything that had gone into that moment to open in those gates, I think we had a set time when we could open the gates at Knoxville. And, you know, Brad was the first one through the gate and, you know, he was the first one to sign the waiver. And for me, that moment came then. It was like, all right, the drivers bought into this, the teams bought into this. We succeeded in what we set out to do. And at that point, you knew that the inertia of the event would carry us through for the rest of the evening. Um, yeah, it, it, it was really special. I mean, it, you know, I, I, I've been very fortunate to be involved in a lot of things, but that, that event on May the 8th probably is the, the, the most important and significant thing I've ever, ever been involved in in my life in motorsports. I know that day was, uh, I mean, hectic would be an understatement, and there were so many unknowns, and we had, from our perspective, whether it was myself or with trying to work with Nick and Kendra, we had so many media requests that we were trying to take care of at the last minute, and initially we weren't, you know, there was not going to be anybody on site, then we were, so we were working through all that. But to Melvin's point, that one of the things that Jeff and, and Melvin and the event team does a, a great job is they send pictures back. We're not all at all the events, but they send pictures back throughout the day, set up, could just be as simple as a sign on a fence, whatever. But that day, I think it was Jeff, you had the picture of Brad at the table getting temperature taken. And when that picture came across my my feed um that that was like a man on the moon type of picture to me <laughs> that was for everything that we that was like we're back and and that picture was uh, you know the, the cliche is a picture is worth a thousand words that was worth three thousand words that that picture of brad getting his temperature taken 
in the barn on the at Knoxville was unreal. And then we went from there. The rest of the day, everything went went great. Um, worked with media throughout the night to get video and, and images and working with national media and local media all throughout that night. Um, what, you know, we'll, we'll all remember it. Um, but to me, that Brad Sweet moment where he was, where the, that picture came across was like, I, I don't even think Jeff realized what he had there when he sent that picture, but that picture was a moment in time, like a frozen moment in time that said, we're going to be okay. Yeah. From, from my perspective, I don't, uh, looking back on it, I don't, I, I was, it was unable to comprehend kind of the importance really at the time. Um, we had made a decision to go just like we do with all of our important initiatives. We're all in, you know, we, we, we didn't, uh, at the time we didn't slow anything down. I think I told my team that we're going to invest hard into figuring out a solution to extend our lead. Uh, so we didn't furlough anybody. We put everybody on a task that put us back at the racetrack to be bigger than we were before the pandemic. We didn't, we doubled our, our marketing campaigns because there was nothing else to do. We're going to see if we can increase the awareness and grow the fan base while we had the opportunity that we didn't know. So I viewed the challenge as just any other challenge. It's another opportunity to, to strengthen your strengths and to figure out how to move everything forward. So, you know, on the day, you know, I was worried about shutting down until the checkered flag. You never know when something was going to happen because people, there was the opportunity for somebody to come in and say, stop. And I was concerned about that the entire day, candidly. So it wasn't really until after the event and I was kind of on my journey back to the house to figuring out, okay, crap, now we got to go again. That was, that was, <laughs> that got us going, but how do we navigate it? And, you know, we asked a question earlier about, you know, what is the long lasting impact? And I think you can see it in the expansion of the fan base and the engagement of the existing fan base is extraordinary right now. The growth and the awareness and the cool factor of dirt racing, I think you can attribute to a lot of the things that everybody did in the community last summer after we launched it on May the 8th. And that momentum grows and it's up to us to continue to feed that fire while we have the opportunity now because there's going to be a lot of people that didn't know about it until last summer that still haven't been to the racetrack. And that's the exciting part for me and for the series is what we launched, what, what happened leading up to May 8th, what happened after May the 8th as we navigated and, and asked for permission and worked within the guidelines. We still haven't seen it. It's the backlog at the chassis manufacturers. It's the shortage of, of all the things. It's all the pieces are relative to this. We've created demand uh, in a time that uh, was really challenging and we did it in spite of the uh, environment. And, and it, we took advantage of, a, of the challenge. We, we were stepped up to the challenge and we took advantage of it and created opportunities. And May the 8th was a significant day in that. And we're still approaching it that way. That's what we're doing now. We're approaching it that way. What is the challenge of the day? What do we need to do? How are we gonna grow the awareness? Who can we get to the racetrack and have them, uh, have them have a good time and enjoy their time with their family and their racing? That's what it is. 
Right. I feel like May the 8th now has become our own kind of special holiday for us in a way. You know, you know we had fun celebrating Star Wars Day that week in Cinco de Mayo, but I feel, at least to me, it just May the 8th kind of feels like one of those days where you're you're going to say to everybody, where, where were you on May the 8th? What, what does that day kind of feel like to all of you? I guess even you know, even Rob, too. Well, like that's kind just because it's yeah. my birthday, right? Yeah, yeah exactly. <laughs> but what, what, <laughs> what does that day mean to all of you now? Boy, that, that's that's a tricky question to <laughs> to answer. Is it, it it it's just it's like you know, you remember milestones in your life. You know, I remember when my son was born. I remember when my mom passed away. But I'll and I'll always remember May the eighth as the day motorsports returned. I, I I've loved motor racing all of my life, uh, and I've been around for a long time. But May the eighth will be the day motor racing return. When when those cars pushed off for motor heat that night, that was that was just unbelievable. And you know, we shouldn't overlook, overlook the fact that David Gravel and Ian Matson put on right. a hell of a race that yeah, night. Definitely. I mean, it wasn't just a procession. I mean, those guys were going at it. <laughs> and uh, you know, not only did we deliver a race, we delivered a bitching race. <laughs> and that's what makes dirt track racing so so cool and so exciting and and just just to be part of it is 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 it's living the dream. Well, May to me, I mean, I being in events for as long as I've been in events, I mean, I kind of when it comes to the it comes to work, you know, it's uh, Dirt Car Nationals, Super Dirt Week firecracker may the 8th is up there with all of them and uh if not uh it, it was a, it was a, cha- a challenge and uh something impactful and, and something i'll always remember and um i can remember you know how you you wake you you re- things you remember you remember the sky you remember how the temperature felt you remember the people around you you know i mean it's, it's one of those days you right. you can remember everything Yeah, same. I mean, it's to me, May the 8th is a, you know, when, when you go to do an event and somebody says, oh, you guys can't do this, you can't do that. And you go, well, we, we did it. And <laughs> we can, because if we all work together as this group, we can, we can pretty much accomplish anything we set our minds to. Yeah. Yeah. For me, it's, uh, it's really the racing family coming together. You know, it, we couldn't have done it without Knoxville. We couldn't have done it without the relationship that Knoxville had with their local authorities and with their governor already because of what they had done. Uh, we couldn't have done it without the collaboration of our teams. Uh, and May the 8th was a day that I realized how much of the event is driven by the energy of the grandstands. Mm-hmm. That, that, that was May the 8th. Is it is it is a significant? We can put on great races. You can you can you can. Those cars will go fast. Those drivers uh, are incredible. They hadn't been in a car in six weeks. They raced i racing, you know. So, but man, alive without the race fans at the racetrack, there's a significant part of the heartbeat of racing that's missing, and that's what happened on, to me on May the eighth, which is why. After that, our investment is going back into what are the fans going to experience at the racetrack. And that's the directional change that happened to me on May the 8th. 
I think you said the best. I never best. experienced a race without a fan. <laughs> never raced without a fan, and I will never ever do it again if we don't have to. <laughs> For sure. I think you said it best the other day when I was talking to you, you called it um, an extraordinary day in the midst of silence. Yeah. Definitely yeah. extraordinary. Yeah. I think, Nick, uh, and, and I, I think I speak for you and I think I speak for all of us, we could probably talk about this literally this entire day. But I, I think I think this is a fantastic place to stop. Yeah. And, uh, Thank you all so much for uh, taking the time out of your busy day because we're in the midst of a season. Uh, and it, as busy as it was getting ready for May 8th, we've got a lot of plenty of racing left to go <laughs> this year. So thank you all so much for taking the time out of your busy day to uh, sit down and talk with us and revisit an event that I, I think it's still safe to say we're probably still going to be learning the, the lasting legacy of it uh, even as the, the days and months and years go on. Thank you, guys. Thank you. Thank you. Thanks. I don't know about you, Nick, but I really enjoyed uh, doing that that whole thing, being a part of that with them just now. I feel like, like I said before, I learned a lot. Yeah, for sure. I got to do kind of a, a May 8th return to racing story, which is really just a little bit of that whole interview. This was cool to get even more expanded with everybody and hear everybody's story and just even more behind the details of what actually went into making that happen. What for you was was your role like leading up to that event, you know, as we're not racing and you, you were at the time a PR director for a racing series mm -hmm. and you had no racing to be talking about. It, and it was different from an off season when you knew that at at some point in early February racing is returning. We didn't know when we were returning. Yeah, I remember when it all happened. I was in the Dirt Vision truck with a group of people. We're heading to the track. Uh, you know, I'm about to, I'm putting out all the tweets about, oh, we're racing tonight and just kind of promoting uh, Cotton Bowl and getting ready to do that kind of thing. I remember I was about to put one more out, and then there was a message, I think, maybe on our um, PR group WhatsApp, like, hey, hold off on any promotional thing. Like, uh-oh, okay. And so that happened. We get to the track, and then uh, Carlton Reamers, um, who everybody might probably know, series director, we've had him on the uh, last couple episodes. He kind of gathered everybody together and talked about, well, we're shut down for we're kind of following everybody else. Everybody, everybody was shutting down that day. You sure. just saw NASCAR, NFL, IndyCar. They were just one by one. It was just kind of this yep. wave of cancellations going on. And even not just in the country. Formula oh, One yeah, shut yeah. down Everywhere. when they were in Australia. Everybody. So they gathered everybody said, hey, we're right now, we're shut down for now. Uh, we don't know when we're coming back. Everybody assumed, or probably a week, couple weeks. Sure. No one thought it was going to be two months. Well, I remember it was f 15 days to flatten the curve, and then that ended up turning into a lot longer. Yeah, right. Uh, so then that turned into just throwing every idea we had out there between all the everybody in the PR department, it was just um, endless, just even more abundance of stories, just trying to keep people engaged and providing them some kind of racing content still. It, 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 was, just kind of, it was just kind of cool. We still kind of got some do some cool things. Out of it. I got to talk with guys like Joey Saldana and Dave Blaney and Sammy Swindell and just talk about cool stories and about the past and share some history and things like that. And then we were just doing a lot of different social things. I think you heard in the interview, we were following kind of a social calendar, making sure all of our partners were still getting uh, pr promotioned and uh, advertised. And it, it was really from 
time you woke up to the time you fell asleep, it was it was nonstop work every day until we got back to racing. And it was it was really cool that I think Chris even mentioned it. Like up until that point, they they weren't. I wasn't gonna be going there. They weren't sure who they could send there. Right. Then it was maybe like a week or two before, like, hey, you want to go to Knoxville for this? Like, yeah, there's no way I'm missing this. Um, and just being there was so surreal. It's just, it was so cool just to hear and see race cars back on a track again. But just the way, the whole process, like they said, they had a barn outside of the track that um, teams would stop at. Then they'd get out um, kind of individually and come through, get the temperature check and do all of that process. Then file in and uh, everybody, all the trucks were spaced six feet apart. Everybody's wearing their mask and following all the guidelines that we had to follow. Um, and then the racing program was the same kind of normal racing program. So it was at least it's nice to get that normalcy back. But it, the weird part, even a lot of drivers I know mentioned it during that night was Johnny was here where we're, we're sitting right now calling right. the race. So it was weird not to hear him calling the race, not to hear him calling their names and announcing everybody. That was definitely an added weirdness to the silence of nobody in the grandstands. Right. Just that quietness was so weird. It's just surreal. Just something like you, you don't it makes you almost take for granted having fans in the stand really. I think that's why you see drivers really acknowledging fans being back in the stands and loving it so much because they realize just yeah, we don't want to go through that again where there aren't right. anybody in the stands. Because it it feeds to the energy of the race and when you win it makes that celebration so much more so much just so much cooler and just add another element to the event in general right and so but it went on and it went on great like uh, melvin said it was an awesome race between uh gravel and ian madsen i think all the drivers admitted they were a little rusty still <laughs> after two months of just trying to unlearn i racing i guess in a yeah. way too as we did all that that was that was another weird thing covering i racing i never thought in my life i'd be i know covering i racing and writing race reports about i racing and things like that but th that was different but yeah it was definitely nice to get that and do that and then that just like we said just launched everything else and yeah it was just like all right we're we're back yeah the one person that we both we both wanted and, and felt like would also be beneficial to have in, in this conversation that we didn't have uh, is Brian Dunlap, who right. we've talked before. Uh, my boss here at Dirt Vision basically helped build Dirt Vision into what it is. And, uh, you know, he was leading Dirt Vision at the time. Uh, and the, the reason why he wasn't on this conversation is because uh, he has family in town and he's on a much deserved yep. uh, vacation time because he works pretty much 24 7 uh so when we decided to do this he was unavailable and would have unfortunately been able or would have fortunately been able to shed so much light on what went into the undertaking of doing this whole event exclusively on dirt vision i mean we obviously stream every single race for the world of outlaws for the sprint cars the late models and uh, a whole ton more but this was different in in so many ways because it was the only way anyone was seeing the race. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And it was also different because, as you just said, Johnny Gibson was not on site. Our, our announcer, who was our announcer on the broadcast, was not at the racetrack. He was, as you said, right here in yeah. the center of this room um, watching on this monitor that we're looking at right now. And 
that was how he called the race. He called it based off of the cameras that we were showing him from the racetrack. And the cool part was he was here co-announcing with Tony Bachhoven, who was on site right. in the press box. Yep. And we had to manage the the delay that comes from that you, you have with any event, broadcasting it back from Knoxville, Iowa to Concord, North Carolina. He and Tony were only a split second or so delayed, but there was a delay. There's not that natural like you and I have right now sitting next to each other and being able to to read off of each other as to when you're going to stop talking and I join in and when I stop talking and you start yep. up. They didn't have that visual cues that they would normally have. And they made it work. And by the end of the night, they sounded awesome. Oh, yeah. Like you wouldn't have known that they weren't there. And we added in Kevin Swindell. We uh, brought Kevin in to serve as a, a guest analyst that night. He he was here uh, in, in Concord with us. He was a, a fantastic added element to the show. Uh, Dave Reef was on the ground as the pit reporter for yep. us. And he did a great job. Uh, there was... A lot of challenges. You know, that was the first time that we ever did an interview with two different microphones um, that we've been doing a lot of since, and just about every other network has been doing a lot of since. That was the first time that, that we had to deal with that. Normally, I mean, you know, you walk up to someone with your recorder or a microphone right. and it's talk into it, extend it over in front of them. That was not the case because we couldn't get within six feet. Uh, so many different things and challenges were were brought forth that to be honest with you even I don't know cuz my role was was here I don't know what sort of challenges our, our our crew faced on the ground as far as setting up their equipment went uh what it was like for them to to be in their respective roles and dealing with the challenges that were faced with social distancing or whatever um yeah cuz don't remember Remember, we're all doing our job, but still following the guidelines, which were very strict, social distancing. Because if and you didn't, it could shut the whole and, thing oh, down. Oh, yeah. Yeah. There was the, yeah, the health department was watching. I mean, you yeah. had to follow everything to a T. Yeah. It was, th th like I said, there's a lot that I don't even know what went into it fully on the Dirt Vision side. And I was as involved as I could possibly be because it's my job to be. Um, it, it's, wild when you think about the achievement that that this event was and you asked the question uh late in in that interview of what may 8th now means to everyone mm. as a result of that and for me it was a, a sigh of relief you know um we obviously just had him on brian is and i'm not just saying this because he's my boss and because we just had him on this episode uh, I'm saying it because it's the truth. Brian is an awesome CEO, and I'm sure you remember this. Ha about maybe early April or so, uh, maybe the f second week of April, he sent an email out reassuring everyone, I am not furloughing everyone, anyone. Right. I am not cutting anyone's salary. And at the time when you read that, it's like, okay, that's really, really awesome. But when you're seeing other companies who are much bigger than we are, when you're seeing like I saw NASCAR laying exactly. off people, cutting NASCAR right pay down the street and, is yep. cutting pay and furloughing people, and you're going, okay, I appreciate the hell out of that sentiment, but how long does that last until that changes? And 
when we finished the night that night and we knew, okay, we're back, for me, it was just such a big sense of relief. Like, everything he said is definitely full-on happening. Like, we're back. We're racing again. I don't have to worry about us shutting down anymore because it couldn't have gone on much longer. He could have tried and, and stayed true to his word because that's what he did. But at some point, if we went another month or so, you would have to think that that couldn't have gone on that way, not furloughing anyone or not cutting salaries. It would have been understandable to do. And he never let us get to that point. And when May 8th ended, it was just such a massive sigh of relief. And that's how I look back on it is I, I've stopped – I stopped worrying at the end of the night, May eighth, twenty twenty. Yeah, for and sure. Haven't had it since. For sure, it was that when uh, we're we're both big Star Wars fans, so we're Absolutely. excited for May the fourth this year. But I, I was equally as excited just to see just when May eighth came back was it brought back all those memories of mm-hmm. that event and just really what it means for not just the racing industry, but just like you said for us in general, it was such a huge relief. It was I don't. People definitely didn't see. Well, you probably couldn't even. You, it's hard to even grasp and just kind of show just the um, amount of effort and dedication just about everybody in the company put forth. Nobody slacked off. Everybody treated it like this was their own company and mm-hmm. put every hour of the day into doing whatever they could to make sure that we got back to May eighth. Um, there was a lot of just even just dealing with the world and COVID in general on top of that. It was just, uh, I think, a lot of nervousness and anxiety and just, yeah, May 8th when that all happened, we got to do it and it went off so successfully. Also, don't forget, we were really the only major sport, sport in general, doing anything at that time. Yeah. Nobody was close to um, – having an actual event like that and so just being able for us to be able to do it and then know that we're going to go back racing again after it was yeah it awesome huge relief yeah i mean nascar came back a a little while after that but you know we 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 beat them back to it uh and i know that people from nascar were watching that knoxville event to see how this was going to go and you know like like jeff and melvin and chris and brian mentioned we had a ton of eyes on us from so many different reaches of the industry uh, that it had to be done right and it clearly was and now we've we can look back on it and smile and realize how fortunate we are that this pandemic didn't get us in a worse way mm-hmm. uh and also be thankful that we we are back we've been back since then and not only are we back but we seem to be thriving in, in many ways, and sprint car racing so. as a whole yeah. is is thriving. And you and just look, look at, at any race. Look at Lincoln. Look at look at the crowd at Lincoln. Yeah. It's, it's just been uh, amazing crowds all year long. Every race we've gone to, and we've had so many good races. Yeah. You know, without that event, we wouldn't have been able to have so many of the other events that we did end up having that ended up being phenomenal uh, events. Otherwise, you know, they, we had so many great races last year, and already this year we're up to at least five race of the year candidates, and it's what is today the thirteenth, the twelfth, or something of May. Yep, thirteenth. It's it's been awesome. Lincoln last night was 
absolutely incredible. Phenomenal. He had three guys, almost the whole race, battling for the lead, and then wild things happened in the end, which just added more drama and excitement yeah. to it, and it's just uh, so, yeah, so much good things have come from it. I mean, even, even just think about last year, just the season that we had after that, we that we were able to put together. We still had more than 50 races. Yep. Uh, still uh, incredible racing after that. Um, and at the end of the year, there was still a full points payout for all the series. Yeah. Uh, everything that's come since has been really, really great. Like I said, sprint car racing as a whole is thriving. Uh, the outlaws seem to be thriving, which is awesome. Uh, that's what, what we live for here. That's why we're here. To see that thrive. And um, like you said, the crowd last night at Lincoln showed that it is. Which, let's shift gears a little bit and talk about that. Hey, posse. It sucks to lose, doesn't it? 1-0. <laughs> Last night, uh, the rivalry was renewed for the first time in 2021 uh, with the Gettysburg Clash presented by Dryden at Lincoln Speedway in Abbottstown, Pennsylvania. Super fun racetrack. Put on a super fun race, as it usually does. Uh, Donnie Schatz, Brent Marks, Brad Sweet waged war on each other Man. in the shadows of one of the most historic battlefields in the country. Um, what a battle last night was. And it's one of those nights, you know, you, you have to be lucky and good to win a championship. And and Brad Sweet showed last night why that he has was. won two championships in a row because he was just in the right spot at the right time to capitalize as, I want to say it was Danny Dietrich half spun in front I of Brent so, Marks. Yeah. Uh, with like seven laps to go in turn four. Brent Marks was on the outside, Donnie was running right in the middle, and Brad was running right around the guardrail on the inside. And good thing he was, because Dietrich's half-spin slowed up Brent Marks and Donnie shots enough that Brad squeaked on by and never looked back and went on to score himself another victory this His year. His first win against the uh, the posse. Yeah, big one for him. Big one for him. I think uh, I think he's got what uh, Kevin Harvick used to say Jimmy Johnson has, that golden horseshoe. I think Brad's found it. <laughs> Yes. Yeah, it is It is somewhere up there. <laughs> I wasn't going to go that far. But <laughs> I didn't say where it is. It could be at the top of his hole. Uh, okay, okay. What? Uh, no, nothing. Keep going. <laughs> <laughs> yes, he definitely has found himself a golden horseshoe. Uh, that much showed last night. Um, what a race it was, though. I mean, it was, what do we, we had, what, one or two cautions early, I think it was. And then yeah. when it went green, it went green, and it was awesome. I think my favorite part of that race, actually, to be honest with you, was when Donnie Schatz was still leading in the mid-portion of the race, when he got passed by Brad, and then passed him back the next corner, and realized, right as he got passed, what Brad was doing to him. Yeah. So he would Donnie would go to the bottom of one and two, and Brad would go to the top, and then Donnie would go to the top of three and four, and Brad would go to the bottom. And neither one was making any ground on each other. They were just staying stagnant, but it was working for about 12 laps. And each corner, they were just swapping lines, top to bottom. And it was just so much fun to see. I mean, you could, you're just watching them study each other. And it was so much fun. It's uh, like Brad said, that he got Donnie moving. And usually when you get guys moving like that, you can get by them because right. you know you know where they're going to go then but donnie's just so good at ma maintaining his tires and his lines and his throttle and everything that he was able to uh still challenge brad and yeah it was so much fun to watch awesome awesome battle uh, i'm gonna run you through the results of that one real quick 
Turns out I hadn't had it actually pulled up like I thought I did, Nick. That's that's me slacking. Uh, I apologize. Uh, but yes, it was Brad Sweet who scored the victory last night. Uh, actually, Brent Marks made it a show right there at the end, too. I think if he had maybe two more laps, might have gotten back by him and took the win. Brent has been very fast lately. It's, it's cool to see um, him have um, some good runs like this. Yes, so winner, Brad Sweet, as we mentioned. Brent Marks went from 12th to 2nd. Anthony Macri uh, was fast time on the night, ends up third from starting fourth. David Gravel finished in fourth. Donnie Schatz led a bunch of laps and, amazingly, at the end, faded to fifth. Uh, so the quest for 300 will uh, live on for another day. Now, again, we recorded this, or we are recording this, before the doubleheader at Williams Grove Speedway. So in the event that uh, Donnie Schatz went on to win at Williams Grove, congrats, Donnie. Congrats. Yeah. In the event that you didn't, good it's, luck it's as the come. quest continues. It's going to come. Yeah, it's it'll, it'll, come. it'll come. My hope is that we saw a epic battle between him and Lance DeWeese going for a win, both going for their own milestone. I think that would be an amazing show. Yes, I completely agree on that. Uh, as we run through the rest of the top 10, Carson Macedo started 8th, finished in 6th. Sheldon Hodenshield started 11th, finished in 7th. James McFadden started 5th, finished in 8th. Aaron Reitzel started in 7th, finished in ninth, And TJ Stutz started 15th and finished in 10th. To round out your top 10, your lap leaders Thursday, Wednesday night at Lincoln Speedway. Donnie Schatz led laps 1 through 11 and 13 through 24. Brad Sweet led lap 12 and 29 through 35. Brent Marks led laps 25 through 28. And the KSC Hard Charger Award goes to Alan Crimes, who gained 12 spots. He finished 13th, started in 25th. So now, the points battle. Because Brad Sweet hopped back on. Remember when we were talking about it closing up a little bit after Eldora, Nick? Yeah, I, I, maybe we should just stop because every time we say that, he just wins again. <laughs> he certainly <laughs> does go and do that. Brad Sweet back at the top of the standings. Well, he's been at the top of the standings, but gained it, gained a little bit more on David Gravel. Uh, he is now up 70 points over David Gravel, who is in second. Carson Macedo is third, 122 points back. Sheldon Hoddenshield, fourth, 154 points back. Aaron Reitzel is in fifth, 168 markers back. Donnie Schatz, still in 6th, 170 back. Logan Schuhart, 7th, 208 points back. Craig Kinzer in 8th, Brock Zierfoss, ninth, And James McFadden is now in the top 10 in points. After Lincoln, obviously. Yes. Uh, you know who struggled last night that I was kind of surprised by? Um, and, it, and it's a shame that it happened because it's his home track and his sponsor was sponsoring the race was Logan Schuhart, I thought would have been a much stronger than he was. He had a good run there last year, so yeah, I'm surprised. Uh, they've uh, they've had some ups and downs this year. Uh, yes. This year. I Started say. off so fast back yeah. in February, uh, and then we took that little bit of a pause due to Mother Nature raining out a bunch of races or snowing out. Uh, I think we had a, a wild-fired-out race earlier this year, too, maybe. I could be wrong. Mm, I think that was another year. You're right. That was another year. We had snow in Texas. We did have snow in Texas. That that's, was a crazy that's one. That's the craziest. Of. Um, started off so fast, and things have kind of come to a grinding halt for the 1S. Yeah, I thought after racing. that really couple strong runs at Eldora, even though the bad luck that first night, having that great run the next would kind of go in to give them some momentum going in um, to this weekend. But unfortunately, a little bit. 
bad luck, they got to come over. Yeah, I was very surprised to see him in the Last Chance Showdown. Yes, that was that was one that I was not at all expecting. Uh, I think they'll get back there though. There's a lot of good tracks coming up for them. I think you'll see uh, them find their speed again. It's kind of it's like I think we've been saying like the top seven in points. Everybody's so competitive, and they've all kind of had their ups and downs kind of thing. Uh, Brad. Not as much. He's been a little bit more consistent Why he's the points leader. But everybody else has kind of been on that train of, oh, here's a few good races. Oh, here's a few yeah. maybe not so good. So that's it's kind of creating that fun back and forth throughout the points battle all year long. Yeah, so this week we've got a, a lot of fun racing coming up. Mm-hmm. Uh, Tuesday night, Bridgeport Speedway. The newly reconfigured Bridgeport Speedway. The big blocks uh, put on a pretty good show there. Uh, was it last week or a yep. couple weeks ago? So, yeah, really excited to see what the sprint cars do at that track, for yeah, sure. that's going to be awesome. You can catch that, of course, live on Dirt Vision. Uh, Platinum Pass for the year, Fast Pass monthly, whichever one you choose. Excuse me, whichever one you choose will be a great choice because it means that you can watch the world about Los Nos Energy Drink Sprint Cars every single race. You should definitely go ahead and do that. Unless... You are in the South Jersey, Philadelphia region, and you can make your way out to the newly reconfigured Bridgeport Speedway and get yourself there. And if you can do that, I would recommend you go and purchase your tickets at worldofallows.com. Yeah, it's good, it's good advice there you got. Thanks, Nick. Yeah. This they is can, a fun show. It's good. Uh, but we're almost forgetting uh, after Bridgeport that weekend, you're going to see more racing again, too. Certainly are. Tell in, us where. In Ohio. Really? Yeah. Where in Ohio? Uh, I think believe there's one place called Attica Raceway Park. We might have heard. Is. We might have heard of that one before. There certainly is. We do normally show that show, uh, show that racetrack every single Friday night for their weekly action on DirtVision.com. Uh, so that's just another one of the awesome elements that you get uh, when you have a fast pass. Yes, uh, you'll see the World of Outlaw Sprint Cars there uh, that's this weekend, great. and then after that, you'll see them at Sharon. Oh, that'll be fun. Yes. Sharon Speedway is a very cool racetrack. I've never been to a race there yet, so I'm excited to see what that looks like. Are you going? I will not be there, but I'll be watching on Dirt Vision, like you should. If you are going to Sharon Speedway, I recommend you go to the third floor of their... So the grandstand, the the midway of sorts is kind of inside of the grandstand building, and... It has you've got the first floor, you've got the middle floor, which is like their suites level, and then the third floor um, has a small concession stand. The bottom floor is where the main concessions are. But if you go to the third floor, they have soft serve ice cream and milkshakes, and they have a damn good milkshake. So I recommend if you're going, go all the way to the end or the turn one side of the third floor of the grandstand building and get yourself a milkshake, specifically a chocolate milkshake. It's phenomenal. I'll do that whenever I go. I wasn't talking about you. Like I knew you weren't going. You just told me that I was talking about everyone else, Nick. I'm just saying in general. I okay. I'll get a milkshake when I go. Man. <laughs> but when you do go, you will enjoy it. I will not steer you wrong. I promise you that. So uh, un- until next time. You can catch all that great racing on Dirt Vision or get yourself there, uh, getting tickets at worldofoutlaws.com. We will be back with another episode of Open Red soon. Uh, Until next next time, my name, that's what I was trying to say, but I jumped like four words and just put them together. My name is Rob Blount from Dirt Vision. I'm Nick Graziano. Thanks for tuning in, everyone. Have a great week. Hashtag Open Red.